0: You just need to get away, right? You just need to get away. Life just gets busy and hectic, and you just need to get away. We—I uh, didn't bring it up here with me. It's down there on the seat. But uh, but there's something that a lot of us carry with us. It's on us at all times. In fact, it's, it's either on our hip or in our pocket. Or I don't carry a purse, but if I carried a purse, it would probably be in my purse or in my hand or whatever. And it's a cell phone. We take that cell phone and we're on it a lot, of, a lot of the day. It's either at our ear or we're punching and texting or, or whatever we're doing. But there's something that I do with my cell phone every night. is I take my cell phone over to the kitchen counter where I have, uh, have the outlet and I plug it in. And I plug my cell phone in every night because if not, if I don't plug it in every night, will it be any good to me in the morning? No. It has to recharge. And I hesitate to, uh, to use that analogy today to us getting away in the Lord because I don't want to trivialize our time with the Lord as if we come in and out of His presence only when we need Him. But there are times when ministry gets so tough, the Christian life gets so draining that we're just at the end of ourselves and we just need to get away. The Lord. We just need to rest in Him. We just need to be plugged into Him for a while and let Him recharge our batteries so that we can get right back into the mission that He's called us to. I want you to see this this morning in this this passage. Uh, Let's look at Mark chapter 6, verse 30. The apostles returned to Jesus and told Him all that they had done and taught. And He said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them. And they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. This morning, this is a text that is very familiar to most of us. If you've been around church, if you've grown up in church or been in the church uh, for several years, you've been in Sunday school and different Bible study groups, you've, chances are you've come across this text. This is one of the only miracles that Jesus performed, one of only two that is recorded in all four Gospels. The only other miracle recorded in all four of the Gospels is the resurrection of Christ. And so when we come to this one here, and Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all felt it so important, uh, according to the leading of the Holy Spirit, to include this story in their rendition of their walk with Christ, then we must pay attention to it. We have to guard against letting it be so familiar that we just... Relegated it or put it away to a story for children, a story for children's Sunday school or, for, or vacation Bible school or Good News Club. We have to realize that in this text, there is meat for you and I to eat. We come to this text, and I want you to see that sometimes you just need to get away. And I want to give you this morning three consequences of not getting away with Jesus, Okay. First of all, let's look at getting away. Let's look at getting alone with Jesus, to get alone with Him. Jesus says to them, says the disciples returned to Him, and He said, come away. Come away by yourselves. Let's go to a desolate place and just rest a while. If you'll remember in looking back, we had, we had learned in previous sermons as we were going through this book together that Jesus sent His disciples out on this, this temporary missionary journey. It was a short-term mission trip. This was the first time that he had sent them out by themselves. Up to that point, he had always been with them. And here in verse 30, they come back to him. They come back and they tell him all that they taught, all that they did. And then he says, let's get away. I want you to notice that his encouragement for them to get away comes between seasons of ministry they're about to be thrust right back into another season of ministry. In fact, when I read this text, uh, Jesus tells them, "Come away and rest a while," and they don't even make it across the lake till the people are on the other side of the lake and ministry starts up again. So, was Jesus wrong? Was there something, something that Jesus missed? Was he really less than God here? Was 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 this? pointing to the fact that there is something that Jesus doesn't know, that he wanted to get away with his disciples, but didn't realize that the people would beat them to the other side? I don't think so. I think Jesus here is again being intentional. He's including this ministry on the other side of the lake, and the rest really comes in the boat ride over. The only rest that they get is in the boat ride across. They had just returned from ministry, and imagine what they had seen. They had given, been given authority over demons. They had been able to heal the sick, maybe even raise the dead. We don't know. And now they're going right back into a situation where there are going to be 5,000 men on the other side. And that's not counting women and children. Uh, if you took some of the most conservative estimates there are at least 20,000 people on the shore waiting for them. Some say upwards of 30,000 or more, but somewhere at least twenty to 25,000 people are on the other side of the shore. That's not a day of rest to me. When I go on vacation, as much as I love you, when I go on vacation, I want to get away. You know, I want to get away and I want to, I don't want to have to to make a hospital visit or, or those types of things. I, I love you and I love doing those things, but there's times when you just need to get away, right? Uh, before we came as your pastor, and, and we love them. We love Wayne and Christina, but, and they were on the pastor search team. But before we came, uh, we, we left Georgia and moved this way, and we had worked out a week in between, and we were going to go to the beach for a week and just, just do nothing, just get away from ministry in Georgia. And before we started our ministry here, do nothing, And I'm laying by the pool one day and I look over and lo and behold, Wayne Johnson. (laughs) But we had a great time with them and uh, wouldn't take anything for that time. But there's times when you just want to get away. And here they're, they're anticipating in the boat ride over, rest. Rest from all the crowds pressing in on them. We learn here that the same thing that happened to Jesus was happening to them. They pressed on Jesus to the point of crushing him, to the point where his mother was worried because he wasn't even being able to eat. And here in this text, we learn that they're pressing on the disciples in the same way. They had no leisure even to eat, the text says. And so on the way over, I'm sure. They took a little food with them maybe and they, they had a little bit of sustenance in the boat ride over and they enjoyed the companionship of Jesus. And the boat ride across, we're not told that there was, there was foul winds or, or that it was hard across. We're just told that they went to the other side. But as they're going, we see that the people recognize them and make a beeline around. They can't make a beeline. They have to make a, a roundabout jaunt. Uh, across the lake or around the lake and get over there, jaunt. You like that word, Lisa? All right, caught Lisa laughing over there. All right, jaunt around the lake. And, but they get over there, and sometimes you just need to get away. And they were anticipating this, this rest that wasn't going to come. And sometimes you need to get away, though. And I, as I looked at this, I began to think about the average Christian. I know what it's like to be a pastor and need to get away. But I know very little about being just a Christian, a church member, a layperson in the church that just needs to get away. Um, from the time I was nineteen years old, I've served in ministry. Um, been in ministry really all my adult life. So what would it be like for you to get away? And I wondered, are our people getting away? Are our people not not going on vacations, because I, I know some of you are doing that and not, not doing all those fun things, but are you getting away in the Lord? Are you taking those moments to just rest in God alone, to just get away and still a few moments with Christ, to find Him to be your satisfaction, to find Him to be your all in all, to find Him to recharge you? And I couldn't help but to think that there are probably a lot of people that aren't. Don't know, but probably aren't a lot of people doing that. And I wondered why. If that's true, then why? And I came to this conclusion that many are never getting alone with Jesus because they are never going out from Him. They don't see the need to get alone with Him. The disciples were anxious to get back and get with Jesus and tell Him all that they had done and all that they had said, all that they had taught and and all that they had experienced And they were anxious to get into the boat and go to the other side. They were anxious just to get away and be with Jesus. And ministry drives you to that. Living the Christian life drives you to that. When you're out living not for yourself but living for the Lord, it drives you to that. But I can't help but to think if that's true that there are a lot of believers, a lot of Christians, or a lot of church members that are not retreating and going into the Lord, maybe it's because there is no compulsion to get there. They don't feel the urgency. They're not run, ran down from serving the Lord to get into the presence of God. And Maybe you are. Maybe you would say, Pastor, you can't make a, 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 just a blanket statement like that. And maybe I shouldn't. That's why I'm not naming names and pointing fingers. But I think there are probably a lot of people that fall into that boat. And I believe that we need to be like David when he wrote these words in Psalm 63, We sang sang Psalm 62, but in Psalm 63, verses 1 through 8, David says, "O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and your glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. thirst for you and for you alone oh how we need to say when i'm with you my soul will be fed as if it were being fed with the fat things with the good things and i will walk away satisfied and jesus here i believe to us says come away come away and rest a while without getting away with jesus without getting alone with jesus let me give you these three things number one Without getting away with Jesus, we would forget what it's all about. Verses 33 and 34, many saw them going. They recognized them. They ran around the lake ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. He began to teach them many things. They see him in their time alone, in their time away with Jesus, in their time that is meant to be rest. They see him come to the other side, and before the boat ever makes land, he sees the crowd, and he has compassion on them because they are like sheep without a shepherd. He begins to teach them many things. We have a tendency to do church for the wrong reasons. We have a tendency just to get in this Habit or these patterns of doing church. Church is not something you do, church is who we are. The church is the family of God, and we have been adopted through the blood of Christ. We don't do church as if we do church on our way to doing something else. We have a tendency, I wrote some of these out as as just examples of what we do. We have a tendency to want to grow our church. We say, well, we, we've got to become the church. We've got to become the one in the, in the area, in the community that is the church. And what we're saying is we want to build our kingdom. We want people to, to come into our area and know about Abner Creek. The reality is I want people to come in, and, and, and I pray you do as well. We want people to come into our community and know about the Lord Jesus Christ. We want them to come in and not say, boy, have you heard about Abner Creek? We want them to come into the community and say, have you heard about the God of this community? The God that is preached in the churches all over this community, amen? We have a tendency to want to build our kingdom, our church. We have a tendency to say, well, you know, we've got to, we, we got to start giving so we can meet budget. And I know how this is. I know the pressures of this. I've been the ex-officio member of the budget committee meeting uh, at least twice a week uh, for several weeks, and and I appreciate um, those that are serving on that committee, and and we're we're prayerfully putting together a budget uh, for the coming year so that we could say, what is the Lord calling us to do? But ultimately, it's not about us meeting budget. If it's about meeting budget, then how are we different than the business down the road? How are we different than any business that, that is housed in downtown Greenville or anywhere else if it's about meeting budget? It's not about meeting budget. It's not about our agenda. And there are some that, uh, that prove this every single week when, when they say, well, I'm not going to tithe. I'm not going to give to that. I'm going to withhold or I'm going to designate to a certain area because I don't like what the pastor is doing or I don't like the music. And we say It's about meeting what I want. It's about meeting my agenda. Now, church, listen to me. When it gets to the point where it is about meeting budget and meeting our agenda, we might as well close the doors. Because it's not about that. When we neglect to get alone with Jesus, we forget what it's all about. I've heard parents of teenagers say, well, you know, I just, I just like to keep them busy. I send them to church, I send them to the youth ministry because they do so much down there and it's good. It's good for them to be in that because if we, if we can keep them busy, we'll keep them out of trouble. Is that what it's all about? God, help us. I want teenagers that want to live for the Lord, that don't just want to stay out of trouble, that don't just want to become disinfected but they want to become disciples. They don't want to come to the house of God and be with the people of God because they've been adopted into the family of God to change this world for the glory of God. Stay out of trouble. We come to church sometimes. We get in the habit of doing church, and we, we walk away from church services and say, boy, that, boy, that service today, it just, it just felt so good. There's times when it does. There's times when it doesn't either. There's times when I stutter and stammer over my words. And Ethan, as he's leading, you know, he gets he gets fumbled up in this, and the musicians hit wrong notes, and 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 you know, the choir didn't come in at the right time, or or the ushers weren't in the right place they were in, and and someone messes up sending the offering plates and all of that. It's not about us feeling good. When we treat church as if it's for us to feel good, we are no different than a drug addict looking for his next fix. There's some that get in the habit of doing church because they say, well, well, I'm involved in church because we help people, and helping people is a wonderful thing, and we ought to help people, and our bulletin is chocked full of opportunities to help people, particularly during this season. We ought to help people, but if, if we help people without giving them the only real hope that they have, then we've done nothing, done nothing for them. We must also take them to the gospel. When we forget, when we neglect getting away with the Lord, getting alone with Jesus, we just keep doing things, then we forget what it's all about. And Jesus here comes to the shore and it says that he had compassion on them. Because they were like sheep without a shepherd. He began teaching them many things. Jesus' compassion is not primarily because they are poor. It's not primarily because they're hungry or that they are needy. Jesus' compassion is not because he looks out of the boat and says, 25,000 people, here's a great start on my kingdom. Let me go after these people. Instead, his compassion is motivated because they are like sheep without a shepherd. I don't know if you've studied sheep very much or had any dealings with sheep. I would recommend, I would commend a a good book to you. A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23 by uh, Philip W. Keller. Um, He was a shepherd and he applied what he learned in raising sheep to the 23rd Psalm. And he saw all the intricacies of what what is meant there. And it's a a wonderful book, but but the premise that comes out of it and that comes out of Scripture as well is that sheep without a shepherd won't survive. Sheep can't feed themselves. Sheep can't find the water that they need. Sheep, if they get over on their backs and get turned over, they can't right themselves. Sheep will follow each other to destruction. And Jesus looks out at these people and they are the people of God. They are the people of the chosen race. They are people of Israel, God's chosen people. And he looks at them and they are running after whatever works for the day. They had heard of Jesus' miracles and all they wanted was this supernatural touch of the latest fad. And Jesus looks at them and says, they are Pitiful. They are sheep without a shepherd. And the reason he's moved so much is because he had appointed shepherds. He had appointed the priests over the temple of God. And the people the temple of God there, they are abusing their position. They are abusing their position and going after things that they should not go after. They are feeding themselves and making themselves fat off of their chosen status, their favored status. I want to read to you Ezekiel chapter 34, verses 1. I'd rather you not turn there. You won't hear a pastor say that very much, but I'd rather you not turn there, just write it down. But I want you to listen. I want you to listen to the state of the shepherds that God had appointed over the house of Israel. Ezekiel 34, verse 1. The word of the Lord came to me. The strayed you have not brought back. The lost you have not sought. And with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered. Because there was no shepherd and they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. They wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. My sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth. With none to search or seek for them. Therefore, The Pharisees of the day. Jesus here is making a bold statement. And I will require my sheep at their hand and put a stop to their feeding the sheep. No longer shall the shepherds feed themselves. I will rescue my sheep from their mouths and they may, that they may not be food for them. For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock, "...and on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. There, there they shall lie down in good grazing land. And on rich pasture they shall feed on the mountains of Israel." I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost, and I will bring back the strayed, and I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak, and the the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. Jesus here, when he looks out at these people on the shore, these 20, 25, 30,000 people that that are children of Israel, He sees them as sheep without shepherd. It's exactly what he expected to find. It's further condemnation against what Israel is doing. He says, since the shepherds that I appointed are squandering their position and using it on themselves, I will be their shepherd. It's what he talks about in John 10 when he says... thief has come to steal and kill and destroy but I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly he's talking there about the good shepherd when we neglect to get alone with God we we're alone with Jesus and just rest in him alone we forget what it's all about we want to build our own kingdom and we forget that the Lord has come to seek and to save those who are lost and that's what we're about It's not about our kingdom or our budget or our children or any of those things. We benefit from that. And we see some byproduct from that. But the main thing is seeking and saving the lost. It is about going and making disciples. That's it. Our great shepherd is gathering his flock and he's asked us to join the search. Secondly, when we don't get away with Jesus, not only would we forget what it's all about, but we would also begin to see only the obstacles. Verses 35 through 38, it says, When it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place. I want you to catch that, the way they describe the place. It's a desolate place. And the hour is now late. Send them away, send this multitude away. To go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, You, you give them something to eat. The disciples here look around and, and on the boat ride over, they were so excited and saying, oh, Finally, we're going to get some rest. We're going to get away from these people. We're going to just get to be back with our master. We're going to just rest for a while. It's going to be wonderful. And they get to the other side and 25,000 people are waiting for them. And they were annoyed. They had forgotten what it was really all about. And they needed to be reminded of it by seeing the compassion of their Lord. And they come and they say, Jesus, it's, it's getting late and this is a desolate place. Send them away. The reason I point out to you the desolate place is because they describe it the same way that Jesus described it. Don't, don't miss the fact that Jesus said to them, Come away to a desolate place. the disciples once they got there saw the desolate place as the problem but the problem that they thought was a problem was an opportunity for the lord the disciples saw that desolate place as a problem but jesus saw it as an opportunity after all wasn't he the one that led them there wasn't he fully aware of the hour didn't he know what time it was and of what wasn't he aware of what the people really needed of course he did. He knew how hungry they were. They knew how, he, he knew how many there were of them. He knew of the resources that were available. He knew all of that. And the disciples come and say, but Lord, this is, it's getting late. It's a desolate place. There's so many of them. They're going to be hungry. They're already hungry. We're hungry. Send them away. And Jesus says to them, you, you give them something to eat. Imagine their surprise. We, <laughs> Jesus, you want us to give them something to eat? We can't do that. We'd have to spend two hundred denarii. It's two hundred days' wages. Jesus, do you really want us to go out and do that? They didn't. They weren't serious when they said it. It was really meant to be sarcasm. You imagine imagine being sarcastic with the Lord. And Jesus says to them, "Well, how many loaves do you have?" And I think at that point they probably were going, "He is serious. He's serious." He says, "Go see, go see how many you have." And so they scour through the crowd and they find one little boy with a lunchable, and he's got five loaves. And these are not loaves like you and I know. I heard John MacArthur pointed out. He said when he was, when his, as a child he heard this and he wondered. Five loaves, that's a lot of bread for a little boy, you know. It's not loaves like Wonder Bread, you know, or like you know, like we get in the grocery store, you know, with a tied-up sack. The five loaves here are these little barley cakes. They're like crackers. His mom that morning, one mother, as she sends her child off to see Jesus for the day, has the forethought to pack her son a lunch, and she packs five little crackers and two little pickled fish. Basically, this is a sandwich. And I can imagine them coming back to Jesus and saying, Jesus, now, Jesus, you see how many people are here, and all we have is this little boy's lunch. And he didn't want to give it up. We took it from him, you know. I don't know. That's just, I just added that, you know. And Jesus takes it, and he says, have him sit down. Have him sit down. And all the while, they've just come back from being on their own and coming across people possessed with demons and saying to them, in the name of Jesus, come out, and seeing the demon flee. They've just come across people who were sick, maybe sick for years, and saying, in the name of Jesus, be well. And seeing the disease leave their body. They did the things that Jesus had done. They said the things that Jesus had said. But they get back to him and all of a sudden they lose their faith. They had been so excited to come back and tell Jesus all that they had said and all that they had done. But then they get back and they say, Jesus, we can't feed all these people. All we have is five crackers and two little fish. Jesus, what's that among so many? Boys, have him sit down. Without getting away with him, we begin to see only our problems. The latest church growth methods would tell us that a church has to be in the right location, has to be in a growing neighborhood, it has to have the best of facilities. It has to have all the resources in place. It has to have all the funding. It has to have skilled teachers. It has to have people, skilled musicians and all this sort of thing. If it's going to grow, it has to have all of these things. And there are churches right now that are defeated saying, we don't have any of that. What are we supposed to do in the world today? I mean, I know Jesus said, I'll build my church and the gates of hell won't prevail against my church, but, but we don't have anything that the modern churches of today have. Oh, yeah, you do. You got the one that says, have them sit down. As individuals, people living their own lives, doing their own things, you can begin to get focused in on yourself and you neglect spending time with the Lord and you begin to look only at your problems and you begin to say things like, you know, if I just had a better job, if I just had a job, if I had a different spouse, You know, if if my children were different, if her mother wasn't like she is, that's real good right before you go in to see in-laws, right? When you neglect to spend time alone with the Lord, you begin to see only your problems, and we begin to try to handle things on our own. We begin to try to dress things up here. We begin to try to do things on our own and do things the way we would do them, thinking that's what they want, We began to see the people that are coming to a church as consumers rather than sheep without a shepherd. And you in individual lives who say, if I only had, you begin to say things like, you know what, that woman at work, she's been paying me a little extra attention. Maybe I mean, things aren't good at home, and maybe if I just talk with her. You know, I I owe it to myself, and you end up in an affair before you know it. If I only had a different job and you go in one day and you say, today I'm telling my boss off. I'm just, I'm out of here. But see, the reality is God here shows us that He never meant for us to handle these things on our own. That He knows exactly where He led us to. He knows the desolate place that He's got you. He knows the resources that are available and the people that are there and the needs that are around Him, around you, It never meant for us to handle those things on our own, particularly not in sinful ways. As I thought about this, I thought about one who understood a little bit about overcoming these obstacles. When you neglect spending time with the Lord, you begin to focus only on your obstacles. And David was a man who knew something about obstacles. I mean, David had killed a lion and killed a bear with his bare hands. He had slayed Goliath, the giant. He had saw the Lord protect him from Saul all the way to becoming king. And David was a man who knew something of courage and resolve and optimism. Where did that come from? Was he just gifted with genes that you don't have or, or DNA that I don't have? No. We're, clue, we, we're given clues as to where David's resolve comes from in his writings and psalms. Psalm 62, the song that we sang this morning, Psalm 62, verses 1 through 2 says, For God alone my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. He only is my rock and my salvation. My fortress I shall not be greatly shaken. My soul finds rest in God alone. Without getting away with Jesus, we would forget what it's all about. We would see only the obstacles. And third is this. The last one I'll give you is this. I know the hour's late, but bear with me. Without getting away with Jesus, we would lose sight of who he is. You ever have a relationship with someone, have a friend or colleague, and you forget just what a great person they are, how much fun they are to be around until you're with them again? You know, you just forget, and you get with them, and you're with them for a couple hours over lunch or something, and you walk away and go, man, I I just miss that guy. I just love being around that guy. You ever have somebody, though, that every time you're around them, they remind you of how awful they are? It's because the person's character comes out. And the same principle is true for when we get alone with God. God's character will come out. When we get alone with the Lord and just rest in Him, since there is no evil in Him whatsoever, we will be reminded of His greatness. We will be shown that He is marvelous. He is wonderful beyond all measure. That He is our fortress. He is our salvation. There is nothing that He cannot do. And getting away with Jesus, the disciples got to see all over again who he really was. They saw him command them all, the Bible says there in verses 39 and forward. He commands them all. He commanded the people to sit down in groups of 50 and 100s. This was reminiscent of what Moses had done in the wilderness before he, God fed them manna. The disciples waited on the people. They were the very ones who before this had, had been complaining Jesus, it's late, we're in a desolate place, we don't have the resources, they're hungry, send them away. And at one command of Jesus, they become waiters. And they take the bread that he has broken, that he said a prayer to the heavens. And break, and they take it, and they wait on the people. The five loaves, he commands the five loaves and the two fish, And they become enough for at least 20 or 25,000 people to become completely satisfied, the Bible says. And then they took up 12 baskets full of the leftovers. Why 12 baskets? Because there were 12 apostles. There were one for each of them. And Jesus is just saying, Guys, when I leave this place and I go back to my Father and I leave you on your own, you can trust me. There's one for each of you. John MacArthur also, I believe it was him, uh, as I was studying this week, pointed out that as Jesus creates here, this is a miracle of creation. As he takes these five little crackers and he lifts his eyes to heaven and he prays and he breaks the bread and it multiplies into enough to feed this crowd, he points out that these, this, this was barley that never grew in the ground, that these were fish that never swam. Think about that. He creates from two fish enough to feed this multitude. And they were fish that had never swam before. But why couldn't he do that? He's the one who the Bible says created everything in the beginning anyway. That nothing was made that was not made through him. The similarities between this and God using Moses to feed the people in the wilderness Another desolate place would have been unmistakable to the people. They would have been reminded immediately of God sending the manna from heaven. They would have been reminded of other, other places or other events throughout their history. The widow of Zarephath feeding Elijah with the, the flower that never ran out. The widow's oil that just kept multiplying as she filled jar after jar after jar and then was able to sell it all and pay off her debts and save her family. The disciples themselves had been in the boat, and Jesus said, let down your nets. And they said, Master, we've fished all night long. We caught nothing, but nevertheless, at your bidding, we'll let down the nets. And they pulled in a catch so large that they had to bring another boat in. They filled both boats to the point of sinking. They experienced what David wrote about in Psalm 23. I always wondered, when I, when I read this, this text, and there's a particular word that just jumps off the page to me. It might as well be in color, because it says that when Jesus made them sit down, he made them sit down on the green grass. I thought, why, why point out that grass is green? Why, why do that? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for His namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. What Jesus is showing them here is when you get alone with me, when you get alone with me, you will realize who I am. You will see what it's all about as you see my compassion. You will get your eyes off of your obstacles and get your eyes back on where I have put you. And you will see that I am the God who makes you lie down in green grass and leads you beside still waters. And even when you're walking through the valley of the shadow of death, disciples, coming in just a few short years, You don't need to fear any evil because it's one thing to fear the one who can destroy the body but can't destroy the soul. It's another thing to walk in rest with the one who could destroy the soul in hell but you are right with him. I'm telling you, church, we need to get away. We need to get away with the Lord. We've got to... Take time out and get away with the Lord. When ministry and the Christian life gets tough, it's drudgery, it gets monotonous, the best thing in the world that we can do is get away and get alone with the Lord. And the way you do that is you go to your Bible, you turn off all the other distractions, and you sit down with your Bible, and you talk to the Lord. You get alone in the boat with Him, And you say things like, Lord, I'm so dry, but I don't know if I can go on any longer. And you find the places in Scripture where it says that he will be all satisfying to you. That he is the living water. And when you find the living water, you'll never thirst again. You find the places where it says that he is the bread of life. We need to get away. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, this morning, God, I pray, Lord, that you would call us to yourself. God, that you would open the eyes of the people in this room. You would open them to the truth. You would open them to what you have for them. And God, that they would respond in obedience. Lord, have your way for your glory, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The invitation is this this morning. We're going to sit as Ethan plays for just a few seconds and think about what we've heard. And as we sit and reflect on what we've heard and then just a few minutes we'll sing together. And if the Lord is calling you this morning to get away and come maybe to Him for the first time then this morning I'll be here at the front and I would love to introduce you to the Lord. Maybe You are a Christian and you've been walking with Him for some time, but you're just dry. Maybe you need to come and kneel and pray. Maybe you need to sit right where you are, stand where you are and sing the lyrics. Maybe you don't need to sing at all. You just need to let those lyrics sink in. And right where you are, even with people around you, you need to, in this time of response, get away with the Lord, whatever it is. Say yes to the Lord today.